It's a great thing when the people of God can get together and sing his praises and encourage one another in our faith, pray to him and read his word together. Just thank you for being here tonight. If you're visiting with us, we're really glad that you can enjoy these things with us as well. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Hadn't been able to feel at home in this world for a long time. Maybe you haven't either. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through, and I think most of you are just passing through as well. Our citizenship is in heaven, and this world is just a place where we are pilgrims and strangers and sojourners. And we have to live our lives understanding that. The world is not our friend. Uh, We are given robes of white through the blood of Christ. We are trying to walk through this world and keep those robes white. But it's just about like... uh, wearing white robes and trying to walk through a garbage dump, it's uh, hard to do. It's really hard to do. And yet Paul will tell Timothy to keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. I'd like to talk about maintaining sexual purity in a world of filth. There is hardly any greater problem or sin that God's people face today than the problem of sexual impurity. It is not talked about a lot. Uh, It is sometimes, you know, under the radar, but it is virtually always there. We are, as human beings from ages of 9 to 90, often tempted with sexual temptation. And yes, you may think that's a little young, but it's not. We have... um, things that we have to deal with in our society on a daily basis. And it is God's will that we keep ourselves pure. Sexual immorality has been a temptation and a problem among the people of God for a long time. Since the beginning of the church, certainly, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man there who had committed such sexual immorality that wasn't even named among the world. His sexual immorality was so bad as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But, of course, the problem goes well back beyond that among God's people and certainly among the people of the world. As throughout the Old Testament, uh, we see continuously the problem of sexual immorality, its relationship not only in people's personal lives, but also its relationship to idolatry. Uh, So it was a rampant part of the idolatry of the Old Testament. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. And certainly, as we said, it's a significant problem in the world today. So let's just start with a few principles. God's will for his people is purity. He wants his children to be pure. He is pure. He wants his children to be pure. Uh, His will is that we abstain from sexual immorality. In Acts chapter 15, you might remember that the church in Jerusalem, along with the apostles and elders and several visitors that were there, and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, wrote a letter to Gentile churches. And with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Holy Spirit in that letter, part of it said that they were to, Acts 15 and verse 29, to abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And the letter says, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Most of those things uh, we don't relate to as temptations much in our world today. 
We don't think about eating food that's been sacrificed to an idol, or most of us wouldn't even want to eat blood, uh, even if it were offered to us. And yet, sexual immorality remains a problem, as it was in the pagan world, in the Gentile world, in the New Testament. It's hard for us to fathom. We think we, we have a world that's over-sexualized, there's so much temptation in it, but it's, it's hard for us to fathom how such an ancient culture could have, have a problem that was virtually equivalent to what we're facing today in our society. Because sexual immorality was the norm. In Greco-Roman society, going all the way back to the time of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, uh, the, the plays of Aeschylus and others, uh, tell us about how it permeated Greco-Roman society. And so the Gentile churches, they had something to, to deal with. And it was true all throughout the Gentile world. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul, you remember, had spent just a very little bit of time in this church in Thessalonica. But he was very concerned for them and about them for a number of reasons, and not the least of which was the pagan culture in which they'd just been converted out of, many of them. And so he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification means God wants you to be different. He wants you to be set apart. He wants you to be purified. He wants you to be holy. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The concept of abstaining from anything that we want to do in our culture today is really foreign to us, isn't it? When was the last time you heard somebody, I just really want to do that, I know I shouldn't, we should just abstain. When was the last time you heard a newscaster or, or somebody advising you know, how to deal with um, the spread of sexual diseases in our culture, whatever it might be, you should just abstain. But that's the will of God, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. That is, you should be able to control yourself, not in the passion of lust, not giving yourselves over to just do what your fleshly man desires to do, like the Gentiles do, he says, who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified to you. Now Paul had told them sexual immorality is wrong and if you do it, God's going to judge you and punish you. He says, for God did not call us to uncleanness. There's a lot of filth in the world. God didn't call us to wallow in the filth. He did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. You see, these, these rules are not man-made rules. This idea of abstaining from sexual immorality, that's, that's not a human-invented thing. It's the will of God. And when we violate it, we violate not only his will, but we rebel against the Holy Spirit. So there are three things I want to point out in this passage we just looked at. I actually couldn't help pointing them out as we went through, but let me give them to you again. First thing is, we're each responsible to possess our own vessel. That is to say, we must control ourselves. We must control ourselves. Secondly, God has called us to sanctification and holiness. 
He's called us out of the world to be different from the world, to be purified even though the world is dirty. And thirdly, the Lord is going to punish those who violate this principle. However you violate the principle of purity, God will punish those who violate it. There are different ways that holiness, purity, sanctification can be violated when it comes to sexual immorality. We're to possess our own vessel, that no one defraud his brother in this. Well, how, how could you defraud, defraud a brother when it comes to sexual immorality? Well, if you had relations with his wife, that would be one way. If you had relations outside of marriage with the daughter or son of a brother, that would be another way. God will punish all of that. I just want to tell you that as bad as the problem is in our society, it is not limited to our society. I've already said it was rampant in the first century world into which the gospel was born. And it's rampant not just in American culture, not just in Western culture, but all over the world today. I'll touch on this maybe a little bit later, but I want to assure you that the places that we go to spread the gospel and to support preachers, every place I have ever been, there have been problems with sexual immorality. So sometimes even with the leaders of churches, and again, I'll talk some more about this in a little bit. Yes, it's in Africa. Yes, it's in Central America. Yes, it's in South America. It's everywhere there are people and problems among the people of God. We can complain about our society all we want to, but it's, it's human society. The Lord is serious about punishing sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, Paul recalls some sins that the Israelites committed in the Old Testament. And he says, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. They wanted to do bad things, and we need to learn not to want to do bad things. Do not become idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. That's how God feels about it. And that's how he's going to punish it. The sexually immoral, make no mistake, will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Revelation 21.8, the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That might lead us to this next question. How can sexual immorality be a problem among the people of God? How is it possible that people washed, cleansed, purified from their sins, given washing their robes white in the blood of Jesus, have a problem with sexual immorality? 
Well, it is, as the graphic shows on the screen, what we've said already, we're trying to walk with white robes in a world of filth. And all the time, the world of filth is pressuring us, trying to get us to touch it. And when we do, we become sullied. Uh, commercials, movies, internet. You can hardly do a search on the internet without some sidebar or pop-up ad trying to entice you to watch some video that you ought not to be watching that's usually one with sexual content in it. Again, it's much like Old Testament Canaan. It's much like New Testament Corinth. They obviously didn't have people paying to download, download porn from the internet. But they did have these temples everywhere, shrines in which ritual prostitution was practiced daily by tens of thousands of people. And it was common and it was accepted. It was everywhere. Anyone could just stop in to a temple prostitute at any time of the day all through the year in many places in the ancient world. It was easily accessible and it was accepted. What was happening then and now is that God's people are getting seduced by the sexual attitudes of the culture that surrounds them rather than following God's intention for the relationship between men and women that is physical to be within the marriage. Why is it such a serious matter? Why does, why does God care so much about this? It is, after all, a, a sin that's mentioned a lot, a lot in Scripture. It's mentioned a lot more in Scripture than we mentioned it in our preaching. That's my fault. But it's mentioned a whole lot more in Scripture than we talk about in our preaching. And again, it's because it's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable for me to talk about it in a mixed audience and with children. But it's all over the Scriptures. Satan uses our discomfort, obviously, to get us not to talk about things we need to say. Why is it such an important matter? Well, it's such an important matter because... Your body is for the Lord if you're a Christian. In fact, whether you are a Christian or not, He created your body for Him, to serve Him, to be united with Him. And so when we go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and in verse 12, Paul will say, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for foods. So, he's saying, you know, you can do a lot of things, and you can do a lot of things, and it's all right. But um, even if it's all right, it might not be good to do it. And he says, you know, you've you got appetites. You've got appetite. You, 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 you literally get hungry for food, right? I, I, I got hungry a little earlier today for food, and, and I, I took care of that. Sa Sandy helped out. With the, she did, well, I won't say, but we had pot roast, let's just say that for lunch. And uh, she overdid it. I mean, she just outdid herself. It was good. 
I'm still thinking about that. So you have an appetite, and you get something good to eat, and your appetite is taken care of. And if you're me, about three hours later, maybe two hours later, you get hungry again. So you're going to try to eat all through the day if you can. That's, that's the way appetites are. But the body, which has an appetite for sexual relations, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. The body is for the Lord. And then our bodies are members of Christ. He goes on to say, God both raised up the Lord and will also raise, up us, by, raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? You see how ugly that is, right? You see the problem with it. Here you are in Christ, holy and pure. Your body is his. You've given it to him. He owns it. And you take it and unite it with somebody you don't have a right to who's in the world, prostitute, a person selling herself or himself, a person God hasn't given you leave with your body to have a relation with. I hope you see the ugliness of that and the vileness of it in the, in the eyes of God. Look what he says. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? You've taken your body and you've united it with something that's filthy. The two, he says, shall become one flesh. So you've united yourself as a man does with his wife, but here it's with something that's impure. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That's the comparison that Paul's making. Therefore, he says, flee, run from sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but here's the thing. He who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. That's what's so big. That's what's so bad about sexual immorality. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. The interesting little play here on concepts. So, not to get too far into this, but if you go to a prostitute or a harlot, you pay to be united with that person. Right? God has paid for you to be united with him. He paid the price of the blood of his son. That's the argument. That's the point he's making. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So what have we learned? The body must not be united with the sexually immoral. Sexual immorality is a sin against one's own body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
and it was bought at a price. God's will for spiritual leaders in particular is purity. In the world and in the Lord's church, there have been massive problems, massive problems with those who have leadership positions, preachers, elders in the Lord's church. But if you look in the world in different religions, whether it's a a bishop or a priest or some televangelist with a, you know, a lot of money, whatever it might be. It's, it's, you know, it's on the news a lot because it's a big problem. It's a big problem in the world. In all kinds of different religions, people, spiritual leaders, supposed to be trustworthy, and yet violating their pledge to the Lord and the trust that others put in them. Timothy was a young preacher, and Paul repeatedly warns Timothy about this. He says to him in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 22, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. You know, just because somebody else is doing it, just because everybody else is doing it, doesn't mean you should. Doesn't mean you should participate with them in it, agree with them about doing it, go along with it in any way. Don't participate in other people's sins. It is so hard to be a young person today, I know that. It just seems like sexual immorality and quite a number of other sins are the norm. They aren't necessarily, but that's how it's made to seem. In early on in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, Paul tells Timothy about how to treat different ones in the churches. Do not rebuke an older man, exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. With all purity. Timothy, you're a gospel preacher. There'll be young ladies that you're trying to help teach the gospel. You treat them as your sisters. You view them as your sisters with all purity. Exemplify purity, Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith. And that last word, in purity. Be an example to the believers. And yet, as I said, Sexual immorality is a problem all over the world. We've known preachers in America who have brought reproach on themselves, on their families, and on the church by the vilest kinds of sexual immorality that you can imagine. We've known preachers in Africa, South America, Central America who've done the same. Keep yourself pure. Peter describes evil false teachers in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Who he says will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. What a horrible description 
of people who are supposed to be holding the banner of truth. So what are we dealing with? I want to spend just a, a few minutes here, not too long, but I want to spend a, a few minutes looking at a passage of Scripture that will help us understand the temptation, understand what it is that we're dealing with and how it is that we need to view sexual temptation if we are to keep ourselves pure. I'd like you to turn your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. And we'll see here the lure of sexual impurity. Let's start reading in verse 6. The wise man says, Solomon, I think, writing, At the window of my house, I looked through the lattice and saw the simple. I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. What are we seeing? We're seeing a young man. He doesn't understand what the world's all about. He doesn't understand maybe why he needs to try to be pure. He doesn't understand uh, what happens when you get into, give in to sexual temptation or the consequences of it. He has his passions. He has his lust. He has his desires. That he's got, but he has no real understanding or discernment. So what's he doing? Well, he's going around in dark places where he shouldn't be, probably, at nighttime. And it's close to where temptation is. There's a lady that is around that area. He probably knows she's around there. And so he goes around in that area. And he meets a woman in the attire of a harlot. Verse 10 doesn't say that she is a harlot. She just has the attire of a harlot. Seductive, alluring. There's a woman who met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside. At times she was in the open square lurking at every corner. So here this temptation is. She represents temptation. You realize, of course, that the Internet is our modern town square. It is where everybody goes to meet and exchange information and see pictures and all of that. And so when somebody's lurking here in the open square, it's like, you know, lurking around on the internet. And maybe you're the young man and you're exploring around on the internet. Just maybe some things you shouldn't be looking at, but that's no big deal. Maybe some people you're interacting with. And they really like you. And, and they tell you, you know, wow, I really like you. And I want to be your friend. This happens all the time. It happens to me all the time. So I don't know if you've noticed, some of you follow me on Facebook and you see like the posts that I put on, uh, uh, on Facebook about uh, whatever I'm preaching on Sundays. I usually put, usually put those out on Saturdays. And almost every Saturday I'll have, have some people in the comments uh, say something about, well, I'm looking forward to this lesson or something like that. And some people might say, well, I'm not looking forward to it. But most of them are, are nice. Uh, and, and then almost every week, I'll get at least one post in the comments of that from, uh, according to the picture, a lovely young woman who uh, is just so interested in me and my posts are so interesting. And for some reason, she hasn't been able to make friends with me online, so she wants me to send her a friend request so we can be friends. 
Yeah. I don't want to be friends with that person. But that, you, you, you know, if somebody's going to try to tempt a preacher who's putting sermon outlines, <laughs> I can only imagine what regular people are facing. I can only imagine. What in the world? Well, that's it. It's in the world. What do you see here? This young man has gone close to, at the nighttime, the open square where there is, there is this allurement. And I can tell you this. Uh, I was trying to help a, man, a young man a few years ago. He was having a problem with, uh, frankly, sexual addiction. And he said... I said, well, where, where's, it, where's the temptation? Where's it getting to you? What evil thing are you doing? I was expecting him to say, well, I've, I've signed up for 27 porn sites, and you know, that's, that's where it's all coming from, and I'm just doing all this bad stuff. And, no, that wasn't it. He was on Facebook, and he would click on a Facebook article. It would take him to another place, article that seemed uh, interesting. He'd read the article. At the bottom of the article, there'd be all of these allurements. Ads meant to grab his attention by the way women were clothed and the things that were being said. And it was killing him spiritually. It was just killing him. It's just like this young man right here, right? It's the same thing. It's the same thing in Proverbs 7. And the thing is, it's going to be pleasurable. She caught him in verse 13 and kissed him with an impudent face and said, I, I, I peace offerings with me today. I paid my vows. I came to meet you, diligently seek to see your face. I found you. I've spread my bed, bed with tapestry, colored coverings with Egyptian linen. This, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, this is all just going to be a lot of fun. Everything's pure. I'm innocent. Uh, let's just delight ourselves with love. And with her enticing speech, making everything seem wonderful and fine, and maybe sending pictures on the internet along with it, she entices him. You're not going to be caught, she says. My husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. And so, with her enticing speech, she causes him to yield, verse 21. And with her flattering lips, she seduced him. And immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. He did not know it would cost his life. And that's how it happens. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded. And all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death.
Yeah, that what we're facing isn't really all that new, is it? The allurement's the same. The foolishness of giving into it's the same. And the consequences are the same. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. If you're taking the bait, stop taking the bait. Realize what the devil is doing to you. Find help if you need it. And you probably do. Man, woman, whoever you are. Young person. If we would keep ourselves pure, we must not live to lust. Lust are secret things. They're within us. We think nobody knows. We think it's okay if we engage in it because nobody's going to see it. Maybe they won't, but it will ruin your life. Don't live to lust. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 2, we should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime, and I want to say if you're involved in this even to this day, if you're involved in sexual impurity even to this day, you have spent enough of your past lifetime doing the will of the world in lewdness and lusts. Today's the day to stop. We must deny worldly lusts. We must deny worldly lusts. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. We must make no provision for the lust of the flesh to fulfill its lust. Here, then, is maybe the bottom line key and the place where if we don't go this step, if we don't go this far in trying to fight sexual temptation and sexual impurity, if we don't take this step, we will not win. We will not win the battle. And that is what Paul says very plainly in the book of Romans in chapter 13 and verse, starting in verse 12, that the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let's cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Make no provision. Don't allow yourself to even think about allowing yourself to be tempted. Don't put yourself in the situation. Cut off every opportunity. Make it so in the future you cannot do what it is that you've been doing. Make no provision for the flesh. So we're walking through a garbage dump, folks, and we've got white garments. And the only way we're going to see Jesus, the only way we're going to see Jesus is if our garments are still white when he comes. That's it. We have to keep our garments. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments.
keep your garments. And if you've sullied them, may I say to you, the blood of Jesus still cleanses them. Admit to yourself what you've done. Turn away from it. Ask God for forgiveness if you're a Christian. And the blood of Jesus will wash you clean. Tonight we've talked about some serious things. I hope it's been helpful to every man, woman, and young person assembled. What about you? Keep yourself pure. If you're not pure, do what you need to be pure. Let us help you if we need to, if you need us to. Please come while we stand, while we sing.